<laughs> Rosie. <laughs> oh, there we go. This is the original Farm and Country theme. Huh? Good morning. It's 11 o'clock. This is Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. I'm Tim Bruno. It's our spring fun drive, and Rosie Starr is here. <laughs> yes, I am here. That's the traditional song, Wildflower, with Dwayne Eddy on guitar. And I'm here to tell you that we have a fabulous show today. Keith Hubbard and Star Talk is going to tell us about the difference between a sundial and a real clock. And on today, April 15th, they, they match up. Evan Padua has a hooked on fishing report about early spring fishing. Stephanie Phillips is going to tease us with ice cream because she's got segments in the future from Century Myers Farm. And we have ramps. It's springtime. So ramps are coming up and Steve Schwartz is going to tell us about how it's how he grows them. And there's a bamboo fly fishing person, Kevin. He, he fishes with bamboo rods, and he's going to tell us all about that. Thanks so much for joining Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. The abortion drug Mifepristone remains available for now. A ruling by a federal judge in Texas restricting the FDA's approval of the drug would have taken effect today, but the Supreme Court has put that ruling on hold at least until the middle of next week. NPR's Nina Totenberg says the Biden administration asked the court to intervene. The administration argues first that the anti-abortion doctors who brought this case have no legal standing to challenge the FDA regulations because they have no concrete stake in the drug. They neither take it nor prescribe it, and they haven't come up with a woman who claims to have been injured by the drug. The White House issued a statement last night saying the administration stands by the FDA's approval. Rutgers University says it reached a framework to end a week-long strike. As NPR's Dave Mistich reports, the deal includes pay raises for faculty, part-time lecturers, and other workers. Some 9,000 members of three unions went on the picket line Monday, calling for better wages, benefits, and working conditions, marking the first professor strike in the university's 257-year history. Under the deal, full-time and part-time faculty, postdoctoral fellows, and graduate students will all see salary hikes, with adjunct professors getting a nearly 44% increase. Graduate students will get health care and eventually make $40,000 a year under the new contract. According to a statement on the school's website, Rutgers is open and classes will proceed on a normal schedule. The university's president thanked Governor Phil Murphy for leading talks between the school and union officials. The deal still needs to be ratified by the rank and file. Dave Mistich, NPR News. Fighting erupted this morning across Sudan's capital Khartoum between two factions of Sudan's armed forces. Now the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, RSF, claim to have taken control of the presidential palace and the international airport. NPR's Emmanuel Akinwotu reports. After months of mounting tensions, people in Sudan's capital Khartoum walked to gunshots and fierce fighting between the RSF and Sudan's military. The RSF now say they have seized control over the presidency, the residence of the army chief and three airports, plunging the country into further turmoil. Both forces have accused each other of instigating the ongoing fighting, with air force jets flying over Khartoum and armoured vehicles speeding through the streets. The sudden conflict follows a power struggle over which force will lead a fragile transition to democracy that now appears in further jeopardy. Emmanuel Akimwotu, NPR News, Lagos. A Sudanese doctor's group says at least three people were killed and dozens more injured in the fighting. 
U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. is deeply concerned and is asking all parties to stop the violence. This is NPR News from Washington. French President Emmanuel Macron's unpopular plan to raise the retirement age is now the law. It increases the age from 62 to 64. Government officials say the change will start being implemented in September. France's constitutional court approved the higher age yesterday. Today marks 10 years since bombs exploded near the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Three people died; hundreds more were injured. From member station WBUR, Amanda Beelin shares a reflection from a physician who helped treat victims that day. Boston Medical Center Director Elizabeth Mitchell ran to the finish line to help victims when the bombs exploded. Today, she says she feels gratitude. I just appreciate being alive, and I appreciate the things that I have. You know, whether I do that more than I did before the marathon bombing is hard to say, but I, I think that it's just increased my awareness of those things. Later today, at a ceremony in Copley Square, officials will gather to mark the exact moments of the explosions. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu and Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey, among others, will be in attendance. For NPR News, I'm Amanda Beeland in Boston. Lawmakers in Montana have approved a bill to prohibit the social media app TikTok from operating in the state. The legislation now goes to the governor's desk. Republican Greg Gianforte has not said whether he'll sign it, but he did ban TikTok from state government devices last year. TikTok is owned by the Chinese tech company ByteDance. Critics say it could be used to gather information on Americans for the Chinese government. I'm Nora Rahm, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Walton Family Foundation. Working to solve social and environmental problems to improve lives today and benefit future generations. More information at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008. Proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. Good morning again. This is Rosie Starr for Farm and Country and Radio Catskill, and we're live in Liberty, and it's very much alive in here. There's musicians all over the place. There's flowers.、Uh, I understand beer and pizza are going to get. <laughs> I already put my order in. Oh, and we have a great show today. It's it's just brimming. The airwaves are brimming with springtime, and so is Radio Catskill. Where this is an event that's been years in the planning, and here it is. We're all blossoming here. We're able to gather outside here at Radio Catskills New Liberty location, twenty-seven fifty-eight State Route fifty-two, for our open house during our spring fun drive. Spring fun drive is when that time of year we ask for your support because we are listener-supported public radio for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania, and we're able to bring you programs like Farm and Country thanks to your support. So. If you can't make it out and donate、uh, in person, you can go online wjffradio.org. You can do that on your computer or your phone, and you can also call us at eight four five four eight two four one four one. We'd be happy to say hi and take your donation as well. Yes, we'd really like your donation, and actually, we're we're responsible. The volunteers are responsible for filling up a. 
a, a page. And if you go to WJFFradio.org and scroll around and look for Farm and Country, you can put it on the Farm and Country page. But the most important thing is to donate to Radio Catskill. If you like the show that we that we present every week, uh, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley, and today's show really represents yes. that. On both sides of the river, we're going to bring you spring goodness. Uh, give us a call, 845-482-4141, or go online, wjffradio.org. And if you go online, you can scroll down and go to the Farm and Country page. You'll see the face behind the voice. You'll see Rosie Starr, <laughs> oh, and you can donate gosh. right there in support of Farm and Country. And uh, we're not only going to be uh, looking uh, across the river and through the valleys, we're looking up as well into the sky. Yes, Star Talk. Wait till you hear Keith. He's going to teach us now about clocks and time. Today, April 15th, is a special day. Listen to what he has to say. You're going to learn something. For Farm and Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Rather than talk about the stars in our night sky this week, I'm going to talk about the one star we can see in our day sky. Our sun has been used for thousands of years to tell time. The sundial is the oldest known device used for keeping time. The earliest known sundial still preserved dates from the 8th century BC. A sundial tells time by the shadow of an object cast by the sun. The length of day, as told by successive returns of the sun at midday, is slightly less than 24 hours. This means that time, as told by a sundial, will be slightly off the time, as told by a clock. But four times a year, the time, as told by a sundial and a clock, will agree, and one of those days will be today or tomorrow. When the sun reaches its highest point in the sky at that time, a sundial will read noon, and a clock will read 1 p.m. because we are now on daylight saving time after springing forward one hour last month. Afterward, noon by a sundial will come slightly earlier than noon by a clock every day until mid-May, when noon by a sundial will come four minutes earlier than noon by a clock. The other three instances when time by a sundial and by a clock will agree are on or near June 15th, September 1st, and December 25th. Enjoy this unique day when time by a sundial and time by a clock agree. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. And we are reminding you that if you go to your sundial now, it says call Radio Catskill 845-482-4141. Go online at WJFFradio.org. And I think somebody just did. Someone did. Tom from Bethel just donated online at WJFFradio.org. And when I told Rosie that Tom donated, she said, I know him. Tommy. Tommy. Oh, I know Tommy too. You might know Tommy. Tommy, Everybody knows Tommy. Tommy from 52 and Vine Wine and Spirits in Jeffersonville. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tommy. (laughs) And so now here's another beautiful gem we're going to have for you. If if it's time, Tim, for more sound. More sound, more more farming country. Uh, On the other side of the river now, on the PA side, way up in Equinox, there's somebody that is a forest farmer and he's growing ramps. 
So I just had to go find out what they what they look like. I know what they taste like. I buy them at the farmer's market, but he's growing them under these beautiful maple trees. And there's a reason why he's he's doing this project. So let's listen. It's Farming Country on Radio Catskill. During our spring fun drive, call 845-482-4141 or go to wjffradio.org. Hi, Rosie. Thanks for the interview. I'm Steve Schwartz, uh, Chief Forager for Delaware Valley Ramps. And we're standing in the middle of the ramp lands on the banks of the Delaware in Equinung, Pennsylvania. Right now we're looking at a plot that I have cleared, one of six, that will be part of a research study that we're kicking off this year. We received a grant from SARE, which is a program of the USDA, that funds farmers to do research. And I'm a forest farmer, and I had a research idea, so I submitted a proposal, and it got funded. The idea is people are all concerned about the sustainability of ramps and how much you should pick and when you should pick and not eliminating all of the ramps. And in our business, we have ways and processes that ensure that the ramps are picked sustainably, that the property is managed for reproduction, and after 16 years, it doesn't look like we have picked all the ramps. In fact, they're coming up right now, and they're all over the place. But there are a couple of other ideas out there, and this is one of them. When consumers, home cooks, and when commercial cooks get ramps, they might use the leaves, they might use the bulb, they might use the entire plant, but the one part that they all discard is the root plate at the bottom of the bulb. So we propose taking a look in a controlled, steady way at replanting the root plate of ramps that have been harvested and seeing if we can get new plants to emerge from the existing root plate. Well, it's all very impressive. And you mentioned that you've been granted some money financially, an SARE. It's Sustainable Agriculture Research Education. You're a forest farmer. I am a forest farmer. So let's uh, find out what inspired you. How did you come across this grant, and why did they give it to you? I was approached by our research partners at Penn State that do forest farming research in Pennsylvania and then throughout the Northeast and the Appalachians about this opportunity back when the grant opened up. And we collaborated to come up with the concept. So in this trial, we have six plots that have been divided up into treatment sections. And in each treatment, we're going to vary the timing and the amount of the ramp plate plus the bulb to plant. So there are eight treatments in each plot, and half of them will be what we call early ramps, which would be two and three leaf plants that are harvested before the bulb has started to swell out. And half of them will be mature plants, um, two and three leaf plants that where the bulb has swelled to the prime size, which we call the teardrop stage. Between those two sections, we will vary the amount of the bulb to include. So in one treatment, we will include a quarter inch of the bulb, and another treatment will include a half inch of the bulb. And this plot that we're looking at right now, which is plot two, I've added a control section. So what we will do here is replant 
the entire bulb from two and three leaf late stage plants to see both the survival in the next year, but also to see how large the plants get. We think that we'll get pretty good survival from all of the treatments, but they may come up as first-year seedlings or first- or second-year seedling plants, whereas if we plant the entire bulb, we may see that they're more mature, that they will be more like three- or four-year-old plants. That's just the control. Well, you speak with such knowledge You must have experience with this, and maybe there's something special about your property, the soil, the location. Let's start with that. Tell us about your property and your soil and your background that you know so much information. The property is a flat. So a flat is a large area in the river valley where the river can widen out, and during big floods it can subsume the property in the 2004 2005 and 2006 floods, where we are standing right now on the flat, there was probably two to six feet of water. And the soil composition reflects that. The way I like to think of it is since the last ice age 10,000 years ago, the property has been flooded every one or five or 10 years and has left an eighth of an inch or a quarter inch of sediment. So there are no rocks. It's all sandy, loamy topsoil which I understand, not having much experience with other property, is pretty unique for Wayne County. Yes, that means you're not digging up Pennsylvania potatoes. It's highly prized soil. I think think Will-O-Wisp Farm also has that. Yeah, it's the same context and same soil as Will-O-Wisp. Greg once told me that after three years of tilling the land, he had dug up 13 rocks, and it's pretty much the same here. You're aware of so much. I'd like to know what your background is and if it includes knowledge about the Lenapes. Do you think they used ramps in their cuisine? I'm sure they used uh, everything that occurred naturally, and I'm pretty sure they also planted food crops. I heard that from Ann Rhodes, the uh, botanist emeritus for Pennsylvania, the, the author of the Native plants of Pennsylvania book that at Point Mountain, the lowlands were planted with nut trees as kind of a plantation by the Lenapes. This property has been used for various things over the years, working backwards from today when it's pretty fully forested with deciduous hardwoods, including a lot of maple trees. Before that, it was pasture. Before that, it was maybe tilled for planting. And before that, this was the banking grounds for the log rafts that were the trees that were taken off the hills. They were brought down here and float down to Pennsylvania. And before that, this was a hunting and gathering and camping ground seasonally for the Lenapes. The property has been used and managed by many people over many years. And you have it now Here we are in northeast Pennsylvania, and it looks like with these trees, you do maple syrup also, and there's a relationship between the ramps and maple syrup season? For me, maple is the gateway to ramps, and one of the reasons is that during mapling process, I'm going around and gathering the sap from the buckets on the maple trees, and typically the first ramps I ever see are on the soil around the maple trees where we've kicked off the leaf litter 
during the winter. But it's also phenologically the precursor to ramps. Maples will stop producing when it warms up and they start flowering out, and uh, the ramps will start to emerge. Then the ramps will grow before the maples develop their leaves when there's plenty of sunlight on the forest floor. And then once they produce seeds by the fall, there's a full forest canopy, it's wet, it's cool, and the ramp seeds need cool, wet conditions to be able to germinate and then create the seedlings the following year. There's a direct relationship between maples and ramps, and Penn State, when they have looked at ramp lands around the state, find that maples, having the presence of sugar maples is one of the key indicators of having good ramp lands. So when you brought the property, did you find the ramps already here and you're sustaining the history of them being here or have you planted them? So I bought the property 17 years ago. I contracted in the spring of 2006. I gave the sellers six months to close because they were elderly and were trying to figure out what they wanted to do. In the meantime, the flood of 2006 came through. I didn't really get back to look at the property until we closed in September of 2006. So I never saw the ramps when they were out and green and luscious. I didn't see the property. And I knew nothing about the woodlands, the managing the forest, or the process of cultivating or managing ramp lands and harvesting and selling. But I did know about ramps because I had some friends that were chefs and had introduced me to them. And it wasn't until the fall of 2006, after I closed, that I was walking around with my neighbor, who was a naturalist, and he said to me, Steve, do you see those little black BBs over there? I said, yeah. And he said, those are ramp seeds. And once I keyed my eyes to the little black BBs, I could tell they were all over the place. And so the following spring, when I was still going back and forth to the city, I asked a few of my chef friends, would you be interested in me bringing you some ramps? And they said, sure, and we'll trade them for food. That first season, I harvested a few ramps. I traded them for dinner, and it was a great discovery. And at the end of the ramp season, my chef friend said, Stephen, we love your ramps, but it's too difficult to remember how much we owe you you know, next year we'll just buy them from you. So then I was in the ramp business. <laughs> well, and I can see how that would be very successful. I have eaten ramps. I've bought them at the farmer's market. And from what I understand, there were wild leek, like a cross between garlic and onions, and the leaves. I've eaten the entire plant. They're just lovely. Yeah, they're the first green thing of spring, everyone loves to see them. They uh, can be used in multiple ways. You can use the bulbs uh, to pickle or to roast or to put into hummus, which I do. Uh, you can use the leaves raw in salads or cook them up or grill them. You can dry out the leaves and crush them into salt to make ramp salt or even freeze the leaves to use during the winter when you're making things like stews or other cooked dishes. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we've whetted the appetite of some listeners. And 
Do you have a website? If people want to know more about your project or how to contact you about your harvest, how would they do that? There's a website, DelawareValleyRamps.com. There's a Facebook page, and there's even an Instagram page. There's information there about what we do, and there are recipes there in case you're looking to harvest some ramps and and use them and some of our favorite recipes and some other information about how we look at the ramp lands and manage them during the season. We look forward to hearing more about this project. From my research, it says that this is going to go into 2024 and 2025, so we'll have to keep an eye on the project with updates. But for now, is there anything else you'd like to say? The grant is multiple years. We will do all of the transplanting this year. But in order to know it's successful, we have to look at what emerges in the spring of 2024 as well as in the spring of 2025. And uh, our hope is that we get mature enough plants to show signs of being able to produce seeds and reproduce by bulb division after two years, but we don't really know yet if that will be the case. So we'll be looking at survival, we'll be looking at the size of the plants as we harvest them in the succeeding years, and other characteristics. And then we'll be reporting out. Hopefully there will be enough information in the study to generate a paper or two so we can share it with other people and give people that use ramps another way to help sustain their survival. Steve, before we close, I'm curious, what is the window of time if people are interested in cooking with ramps and want some of yours? Ramps typically come up towards the end of April and are prime by the second or third week of May. This year, it looks like it's on track. We have two projects this year to help people get and enjoy ramps. One is our commercial harvest, and we probably will be beginning the commercial harvest and deliveries to restaurants near you the last weekend of April. But the first weekend of the other project, which is Ramps You Pick, starts on April 21st. Ramps You Pick is a event where you can buy a ticket, come and learn about ramps, learn how to harvest them, learn how to wash and store them, and learn how to cook them. And uh, everyone will will get a little training in the proper way to select which ramps to pick and how to do it, and then be able to go off on their own and uh, pick up to three pounds of ramps for their own use to take home. Sounds like a lovely thing to do on Earth Day weekend and Mother's Day and all those wonderful holidays. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak to Farm and Country about this. I love it that it's forest agriculture and a sustainable intention. And every time I eat a ramp now, I'll I'll have more respect for really what goes into the process. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Rosie. Yes, and thank you, listeners, when you realize that ramps have green leaves and so does money, and that, that's what we're raising here. We're we're in springtime raising up out of the ground, having a wonderful fun drive, and yeah. now it is the time to call 845-482-4141. And yes, this, pro, this farmer project is a sustainable project, and that's what Radio Catskill is. Mm-hmm. We're sustaining 
in the airwaves, locally produced. This is a locally produced program, and your support means everything to this radio station. So now please show your support, 845-482-4141, or go online, 845-482-WJFFradio.org, or even better, come by the station in Liberty. Yeah, we have our open house that's going on right now. So come by and uh, grab some pizza and beer. Take a look at the studios. I see some people out there right now. Hi. Uh, and we have some folks that have already uh, donated online, uh, including Tom from Bethel and Martin from Damascus. I think we know Martin. Martin Springetti. Hi, Thank Martin. Thank you. <laughs> He's a Damascus neighbor. And see, he probably knows Steve. Oh, yeah. Uh, he knows Steve growing the ramps. They're long down the river neighbors. Thank you, Martin. All about community. And also we heard from David in Gramsville. And speaking of community he's announcing the uh, heartbeat music hall in gramsville is opening this wednesday with an open mic at seven so all kinds of great stuff going on in the area and thanks to all of your support for keeping it uh alive here for public radio in the area radio catskills listener supported it's our spring fun drive so call 845-482-4141 or go to wjffradio.org make that donation it's farm and country with rosie star and the team and Part of that team is hooked on fishing in Evan Padua. Evan Padua. He's on his fly fishing. He's a fly fishing guide, sweetwater fly fishing guide, and he's on both sides of the river. But the river is the joining between New York and Pennsylvania, and he's got such a good vibe. So we're going to – he has a – he's now he's in the water at springtime, and wait till you hear this report. It's just lovely. It's Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. For WJFF and Farm and Country, this is Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing. We're coming at you today from the west branch of the Delaware River. It is first float of my 2023 season hot sunny April day about a high of 50 degrees today with a slight northwest wind the west branch is flowing at about 2600 CFS cubic feet per second Uh, that's at the Hale Eddy gauge we've got uh, water spilling over the Cannonsville Dam and coming out of 